On this episode of the podcast, we discuss possibly the greatest ever SummerSlam, SummerSlam 2002. I'm once again joined by Spud, the king of the wrestling podcasting, and Alan, the fan who loves to be part of the podcast. As we gear up for SummerSlam season, let's reminisce about one of the good ones. Have a listen and enjoy. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. We're going to review SummerSlam 2002. I'm joined by the man who never misses, Spud. Spud, what's going on? How are you? Streak continues. I'm on every wrestling cast so far. So why why wouldn't you have me back? I'm all good, mate. How are you? Uh, I'm excellent. I'm very very glad that we're doing a wrestling cast with you on it. You know. I think it's important, you know, you maintain consistency, and we yeah. both are the consistent factor here. Also joining us is lifelong fan, now becoming panel member. We are joined by Alan. Alan, what's going on? How's your day going? Yeah, not too bad. Bit of a quiet one. Um, worked this afternoon, so nothing too mad. Pretty, pretty good day all around. Yeah, happy enough. We're going to talk about SummerSlam 2002. In my opinion, one of the best SummerSlam events there ever has been probably number one actually to be perfectly honest um it was held in new york in the nassau veterans memorial coliseum now the izod center which is a lot quicker and easier to say uh in new york well technically new jersey if you want to be geographically correct but the 15th ever SummerSlam. spot do you remember yourself as a kid got into this SummerSlam? what were your thoughts or am i asking too much of your memory probably asking too much i remember the hype uh with brock rock and uh triple h hbk but yeah i don't remember like sitting watching it on the night i would have been what about 14 at the time yeah no <laughs> not off the top of my head i remember vague stuff about it but no yeah i rewatched right. it i enjoyed it but i don't remember it at the time yeah what about you y'all any memories of this from back in the day pretty much the same as spot i remember the, the build up to the, the two big matches you know and um, brock was the coin Paul Heyman's phrase, the next big thing, and it turned out to be a spoiler rather than a prediction. He was huge going to this, he probably the, the hottest first year in wrestling, and the return of Shawn Michaels after however many years, was it three or four years without a match, and the whole shock of Triple H turning on him. So there was some big build-ups to it. I remember more the hype around it, but again, I don't remember watching the pay-per-view at the time. Um, I've watched it since and enjoyed it. Vastly, I probably agree with you and your assumption that it's the best of the summer slams, but um, I don't remember it at the time though. I mean, this was it was the first real SummerSlam after the brand split in 2002. We had SummerSlam. It was a very enjoyable show. Survivor Series was good. WrestleMania was good. Even the Rumble was quite fun. The big four that year really did deliver, and I really enjoyed WrestleMania 18. Thought it was very good, and SummerSlam I thought was another hit. Going into this one, brilliant opening. One of the best openers possibly that I can think of in recent memory or ever. This match was very, very good. Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle. Spud, you first. What do you think, Ray, Ray and Kurt? Well, like I said, I rewatched it recently. I had it in my head that this was Ray's debut, but it wasn't. Was it? It wasn't his debut. He'd been on SmackDown a few times. and He did debut in 2002. Now, I can't remember if he was on any other pay-per-views. But this might be his de- uh, pay-per-view his... debut or something like that. I but I remember, so. sorry, I remember like 
in my head, see you talking about memories, in my head, this is his debut, but it's definitely not. I mean, looking at the match and whatnot, I love the... I love the match. I think it's one of the best openers, opening matches of all time. Yes, yeah, just fast-paced, big guy, little guy. This is peak Ray versus peak Kurt. Yeah. So it's it's one of my fun. It was just a it was a fun pay-per-view all in. Yeah. But this this is the perfect opener. Yeah, it's just a, a fun match. I love the start where he jumped them from the back. Yeah. I love the fact that a year ago Kurt Angle was wearing a cowboy hat. And now he now he's like a wrestling badass. He's like taking no mess. He's got no hair. He's like the wrestling machine. Everything about it was just it was a good opener. Taz and Cole on commentary they were good. They were Michael Cole called a few things wrong and stuff like that. But I'm trying to be positive about him for once. I think when you're not listening to him for three hours and you get a break in between, he can be okay. Some of the reversals and the moves are great. I hate Rey Mysterio's theme tune. I hate the... what well, It was the REY one. Who's that jumping out the sky, isn't it? Yep, it is. Not yeah. the I hate that. Um, I hate 619. No, it was it was just fun. Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle just throwing Rey Mysterio about for like 12 minutes. It's just fun. Yeah. And the thing I liked about it too is they both sold things very well. Like even when Angle was caught with like a hurricane run and he's like bounced off the ground and he's sort of holding his back a little bit holding his head and he's like struggling to get to his feet there was an element of selling to this even including how fast paced it was yeah even um when angle was on i've actually did notes for a change lads this is the <laughs> first time since the very first podcast that we did so there, even like when angle was punching and grinding you know ray he was like looking at his hand he was hurting his hand he was hitting him that hard you know yeah. silly things like that uh, there was a couple of things like Rey Mysterio landed right in the back of his head with the suplex that looked really sore. The ref, who's the who was the referee? The referee was it Jimmy? Was the legendary Jimmy Corderas, fan of the podcast, uh, Jimmy Corderas. Uh, they did the flip over him, yeah, which got mad like crowd reactions. Also, of root here, like I said, I'm doing a couple of notes. Uh, I'm not trying to take everything, but. Uh, there was an angle slam that was reversed in the end, uh, an arm drag that was fantastic. I'd not seen that up until then. I think it's still pretty raw from the WCW invasion thing. So I heard some like anti Ray chanting. <laughs> I actually did. Like, see if you go back, it's subtle, but it's like uh, it's been programmed in the WWE guys or fans to hate WCW, and you're still getting the fallout <laughs> of that. So yeah. you do get like I uh, think just not that it's the I think that was was Ray not coming in us off a bit of controversy because WWE like to think that no one's ever seen Ray without a mask, but he took his mask off in WCW and he Vince made him put it back on. And it was not long after this, and there's a whole controversy because it goes against the whole tradition of Lucha Libre. So I think he was still getting a bit of heat off the back because this was his first big match, and I think that's where some of the the heat was coming from, as well as obviously the WCW connection, but there was a lot of conversation that he had put his mask back on at the behest of Vince, but yeah. he got a better... better yeah, I mean, I, I, it could have been 100%, but like I said, it's just little things that you noticed. It's one of the best openers. The finish was really fun. Really good match. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, Spud, you thought it was Ray's debut. It was his pay-per-view debut. I had a look. It was. Um, he debuted in late July. 20, okay. 25th, I think, of July, I read. 
so this was his pay-per-view debut when you lose sometimes when you lose a debut especially because the writing is so bad specifically nowadays ray lost this match and nobody he wasn't hurt by it because number one it was against kurt angle it was a brilliant match it was on pay-per-view the crowd were going crazy from the get-go from yeah. when ray jumped them from behind the crowd were hooked in this match the crowd were fantastic all night but yeah really good this is the perfect opener to have and we always say we have arguments over who gets buried and whatever that's not a burial if you lose every time yeah that was a good showing good debut he put kurt angle to the limit and came out looking like a bigger star than he went in so everybody looks good coming out of this even jimmy yeah (laughs) even our friend jimmy alan any thoughts on this one that we maybe haven't touched on not that, not that really hasn't been touched on, but I would I would agree with with Spud there that this is one of the best first pay per view matches you'll see. It sets the tone for what is a fantastic pay per view shootout, and the we we've talked about it, but the pace of this match, like you see, so many matches, there's moments where they need to catch their breath, where they do their headlocks and they land on the ground for thirty seconds, the minute they get their breath back. There's none of that in this. It's just a hundred miles an hour from start to finish, and even the slight mistakes they make. Angle and Mysterio just have this chemistry from the get-go that even there's one where um, I think Mysterio goes for her command off the top rope and they kind of botch it a little bit but Angle saves it halfway down he's meant to catch him in the ankle lock or something I think and he, it still manages to look smooth like everything is just on point and it's we talked about this um, a couple weeks ago on the the hardcore podcast that we did about things making sense and where there's a feud going on and they start off with like locking up like the whole build up to this match was Ray kind of catching Angle off guard and from the start of the match he's not down the ramp like you expect he's behind him pops off the top rope sets it off perfectly and Angle's whole build up to this was I'm going to break his ankle I'm going to make him tap out and for the first three or four minutes of the match I think last week eight minutes or something but Angle just consistently goes for the ankle up it's good storytelling doesn't go, I'm going to break his ankle, go for a roll after two minutes. It's ankle lock, ankle lock, ankle lock. And it makes sense to the story, and I think things like that are really important. And that's why this is such a good start to the match. They've remem- the writers have, re- you touched on it, sometimes the book doesn't make sense. The writers have remembered what they've talked about beforehand, what's been talked about in the promos, and they've built on that. And it's really set the pay-per-view off with a, with a good start. As you said, no one did it this week. Angles just came off. Was he at a might be wrong, but was he at a triple threat match for the title at the pay-per-view before? Yes, yep. him, Rock, and Undertaker, <laughs> which is actually a very underrated triple threat. It's actually a very good match. Um, yep. and, and, and you the Rock was in. Yeah. But he's came straight off this to, to a debut with Red Mysterio, who's known as a cruiserweight. It could very much have been a step down, but it wasn't. It may have both looked strong. Angle gets a good win. Red Mysterio comes in his first match against some shit of a, of a title match. And that's how you build people without you know, having a loser. There's all right, Angle wins the match, but Ray's a big name already off the back of a match and looks strong. Not only was it good for me to go back and watch this creative and today's wrestling could probably do with going back and watching yeah. as well because it's it's how you set up, it's how you build stars. Yeah. Make both people look good. As you said there about stars, the next match spot See before you go into the yeah, end of the match, the shenanigans backstage because you were saying about the a brand split. Yeah. So Stephanie McMahon with her shiny, shiny legs, and <laughs> uh, Eric Bischoff have to share an office. <gasps> What's yeah. going to happen? 
that's shenanigans and uh, unfold. Uh, but yeah, I remember this. Them two just slabbering at each other all night and slagging each other off, going, "Here are VDs, quite good. I'd love to see them on SmackDown." It's like I just forced fun. It's like, but yeah, next match. What is it there, Potsy? It's yeah, two, two, two stars. Um, do we start all? That was quite good. I, I just I sort of skipped that, but you're right. Yeah. It was sort of this forced humor, like, "Oh no, it's the first real pay per view that everyone's been together since WrestleMania." There have been yeah. talks of people being swapped on shows. Who's going to get swapped or what's going to happen? Definite, definitely an intriguing sort of segment for those that were hooked in wrestling at the time. But the next match was not short in star power. Um, sort, of, sort of was under the radar. It wasn't as good as the previous match, but given the two people in it, the star power carried it. We had 16-time world champion Ric Flair and Le Champion Chris Jericho. In, in a match spot. I know you had some funny, some unique stats and fun stuff about this match if you want to share. Oh, yeah. Right. So, well, go to Alan. I, I started the last one and I took all of Alan's points. If you want to go to Alan, I'll sort of fill in the blanks. Right. Okay. See what he's thinking about yeah, it. Go, just, well, to, just to sort of think about it. You I know? Think that's very nice. That's very, very nice. I am a nice spot, guy. You know, you know as, a, as a holder of the streak to give a fan a platform, I'll... Fan becoming a Skip panelist. Give them the rub. Give them the rub. <laughs> yeah. You put them over. Um, now, that yeah. been, now that you've been put over, what do you think about Ric Flair, Chris Jericho? First of all, I'm feeling privileged. I might have to hang up the podcast and mic after this. You know, Spuds really put me in a position there. Sometimes you should quit when you're here. No, um, in all seriousness, though, this match reminded me just how good Ric Flair was. Um, not necessarily at his peak. Well, nowhere near his peak in this match. He's 52 in this match, and he's hanging with prime Jericho. And to put it into perspective, okay, The Undertaker was never technically as good as Ric Flair. He was never as as good a wrestler while he was a fantastic character. But at 52, The Undertaker was dinking out WrestleMania with Roman Reigns. And at 52, Ric Flair is putting on... Okay, it's not as fast-paced as the, the Mysterio Angle match, but it's a pretty solid pace. They said the whole way through this, Jericho is at his peak, and Ric Flair does not look out of his depth whatsoever. Like... Give this guy his dues. I sometimes you see Ric Flair now coming out, and you're almost sick of the sight of him because he's a parody of himself. But he's phenomenal in this match. Um, the two of them are two of Ric Flair's probably the best they ever do it, and Jericho is one of my favorite ever wrestlers. So the the level of of ability in this match is is phenomenal, and they sell it so well. They they're both kind of heels. Ric Flair's maybe a bit more face at this at this stage although he'll hate me for using the terms remember i interviewed it a few years ago but he still has those tendencies and even whenever jericho starts off i'm pretty sure it's quite early in the match been a week or two since i watched it now but i'm pretty sure in the match jericho slaps on a figure four and it just sells so well the whole match itself it builds up and you kind of think okay jericho's going over jericho's going over jericho's going over and then quite near the end rick Ferry kind of kind of takes his, his lead and halfway through the match gets busted open, doesn't he, as he always does at that stage. I don't think Ric Flair wrestled the match in between sort of 98 and 2008 that he didn't get busted open. <laughs> um, it just looks good with the hair, doesn't it? The, the blood <laughs> really perfectly. That, that bleach blonde hair does just set him off. But yeah, there's... Um, they also they also sell pretty well. Even, even the commentators in this match really get involved well whenever... 
Jericho puts on the figure four and Flair taps out but grabs the rope at the same time. It's just subtle things like that that, that make Ric Flair so good in the ring. I, I have no doubt that he's probably come up with that himself backstage. I don't reckon that's something that the writers have, have told him to do. I reckon he's probably, you know, he's so good in terms of selling a storyline yeah. within a match that he's probably got that himself that, okay, let's be smart. Let's grab the rope and tap out with Jericho. Let's go. Um, and then the commentators get involved and they have a little back and forth over it's JR and, and the King, the best commentary team between them and, and the Brain and Grilla Monsoon, probably the best commentary team that we ever had and they make the match even better it only lasts 10 minutes um, or so but it seems like it tells an epic story from start to finish let's match Ric Flair as Ric Flair always does comes out on top of the end and I, I don't think it really did much in terms of either man's career I don't know where it went after this I know some of the matches had real progression and I might be wrong this might have led on to some great story then, but I don't think it really went anywhere after this but it just told a great story in, in the middle of a pay-per-view that was full of great matches yeah to me it was um it was a, a bit of a quick build feud just to get both guys on the card a bit of star power put them against each other they're both big names they both sell they're both good in the ring let's get them on against each other and what's interesting also about this is rick flair came into wwe sort of the 2001 after the invasion and was doubting himself and this is well documented that he had personal problems and he didn't think he could go anymore backstage but here you've WWE's two biggest pay-per-views of the year maybe even if you include the rumble i guess you, you could include the rumble and go three rick flair had a pro, had a high profile match at the royal rumble in the street fight with vince at wrestlemania he was given the undertaker and at SummerSlam he was given chris jericho you know, for someone who's doubting himself and doesn't think he's got it anymore, there's a high level of trust there in the company. They're putting them against established stars, you know, to either go over or to get them over. But what I, I loved the figure four from Jericho and Flair grabbing the rope and then tapping out. It fit it fits his character so well. Jericho stops screaming at the ref. You know, it's over, it's over. And he's like, no, he got the rope. It's so good for Ric Flair's character. And something else that I loved before I go to spot here when this match ended and Flair won and was walking up the ramp, the camera went to Jericho and he had hands on his head and he was going, oh, you son of a bitch, you son of a bitch. He goes, you stole that. He was selling, losing. And I thought, brilliant. That's what's missing a lot in today's wrestling, I feel. It's not just selling in the ring, but it's selling, losing. And it, you, Jericho looked frustrated and he was like, he kicked the steps and he was kicking the the sort of the barricade and the way out he was frustrated that he lost and i thought you know what it just added that little bit to it go ahead Al, I, and then we'll go to spot i agree what you said there yeah they, they really made it seem like it mattered to win or lose um whereas sometimes people have matches these days and they get beat and they just roll their ring and dander off but i just realized that i've absolutely made myself look like a complete idiot because the, this match not lead the flair not get a title shot off this match against triple h which then kind of slow built up the Unforgiven, where he teased him with a sledgehammer and led to the, the creation of evolution. I'm pretty sure actually this match was the, the starting point for. So I'm nearly certain that I've absolutely talked a load of nonsense about this not really leading anywhere and it led to one of the best factions, if not the best ever. And this was the start of a storyline to watch. Possibly, I'll, I'm 99 sure that. Perfectly I'm 99% sure that Flair got a match against Triple H for the title and then at a later pay per view he teamed the Rob Van Dam against Jericho and Triple H. And then from that, I'm saying, like, needed here, rounding off all these matches. No certain that it ended up that Van Damme and Triple H were in a title match, and, and that's when Flair teamed up with Triple H. 
it wasn't long after that that they kind of ended up going to listen. So this match I knew really certain actually did have a pretty big impact on wrestling up until even today. So yeah, cor- completely disregard the nonsense I talked about really not matter. Not <laughs> anywhere. You, could, you could be right. I don't remember. Spud might remember. Spud, give me some thoughts on this match and then anything else you want to talk about regarding Jericho and Flair. Um, right. So, um, see if you watch the... See if you watch this back. There's a couple of things. There's nothing I want to add because it, Alan's pretty much covered everything. Um, right. So Flair did five moves the entire time. <laughs> I made a note. He did. Where is it? Sorry. He did. Well, obviously the chop and the figure four to finish. I'm counting low blow as a, <laughs> as a move. Uh, he did a back body drop. Um, and a back suplex. So there's your five. The rest of the time it was his wee punches that he does, you know, his wee short punches, mm-hmm. chops, woo. Uh, it's his first SummerSlam as well. Ric really? Flair. There's a, there's a little fact for you. Uh-huh. Also, talking about getting buried, why did, why did Jericho continually bring on Fozzie to get slapped about by King and JR. That's <laughs> right. That, like, that whole, that, the commentary in that yeah. match is actually very, very funny. I remember in that night yeah. where we said, Jack was a, a rock star and JR's like, well, not the type of rock I'd want to listen to. Yeah. Also, I think, see the robe that Ric Flair came out yeah. with? It's like the blue and silver, blue and white kind of deal. Yeah. I think that's Charlotte's from Mania. Oh, remember really? a couple of years. Yeah. If you look at it, it just reminded me, and I remember she said that it was made from one of her dad's old robes. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the same one. If you look back, I don't know 100%, but Jericho was two when Flair debuted. <laughs> um, another couple of things. Well, okay, a couple of questions that I want to ask is: Is the chop the most over move ever? It's up there. Quite like, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Think Every chance gets a woo. Exactly. No matter who does it, no matter what company, that might be the most over, maybe over the last, like, 40 years. Like, it's not impactful, but it's always guaranteed to get, like, a woo. Yeah. Um, Even Baron is... Corbin gets a woo, and he Every... gets nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think you're probably hitting the nail on the head there, yeah. Put it this way. If you're in a crowd, in a wrestling crowd... <laughs> And you pretend to chop somebody, there's going to be one agent that will woo. It's probably <laughs> going to be one of your mates, but it still counts. Yeah. Um, Flair does the mess or the best with so little. It's two cheaters trying to out cheat each other. I like that. One's a face and one's a head for no reason. <laughs> Just the facial expressions and how the crowd react to them. Um, is Jericho the noisiest wrestler ever? <laughs> Because ever mankind, Mick Foley's up there. Did you ever Carmella hear? Uh, I'd never really thought she was that loud. I've was seen, she? I've seen her live. I've seen her live. I've been quite close to the front row, and she wasn't loud. She just screams and everything. <laughs> Although did she? Um, no, I'll not say what's going to say. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, uh, mankind doesn't realise he's doing all those mad. Noises, you know that acha acha. Yeah, I heard that before. Someone yeah, told me that. Said in his book, I think. I think uh-huh. he said it in his book. Um, 
couple more things. It's one of the only times I think Ric Flair won with a figure four in WWE. <laughs> um, and Fozzie, a pop for Fozzie. That's pretty much it. Yeah, no, it's it's a fun match. It's not my favourite match of the night by any stretch. I like the storytelling. Like you said about, I think Jericho's really good at selling <laughs> losses. Yeah. Even against Michaels. Was it the Mania after? Yeah, the little blow, um, and then he storms up the ramp and holding his head and yeah. looking back and stuff. Everything. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it, really enjoyed it. Um, but again, going in with a critical eye, I was kind of not watching it as a fan, as somebody that's going to talk about it in a, a podcast. You noticed how limited Flair was, but you noticed how over he was because he didn't need to do 50 flips and a, a hundred suicide dives. <laughs> he's just a guy. He literally did five moves, if you don't include punches. And he was up until like the uh, HBK Triple H match. He was probably the most over on the card up until then. You could argue maybe Ray Curtin, whatever, because that was the opener. But people love Flair. I love Flair. Yeah. I think he's great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, great match. Short, fun storytelling cheater just fun i forgot this match happened this is one that i was pretty intrigued to go into and i wasn't disappointed yeah i'm going to ask you a question there just on something you said um you're pretty much saying flair done so much with so little just because he was over Mm -hmm. that's definitely in my opinion that's a lesson for today's workers here's a lad here that done very little in terms of his in-ring work at this stage of his career but because of who he was his character, his gimmick, his person, whatever way you want to word it, he was just over. He didn't need, as you just said, to do flips, to do somersaults, to do dives, to do have super kick parties. He didn't need any of that stuff. He was just over because of who he was. Is that something that's missing in today's product? Well, it's it's gained from being a 25 year old or 25 year veteran from then. You know, it's Flair. Flair's 52, as Alan said. Yeah. Um. So he's going in. Everybody knows what they're getting with a Flair match. I don't think I could debut and do what Flair did. And <laughs> get, get his, yeah, uh, but the, he's really good at selling. I've always liked uh, talking about noisy wrestlers and whatever. When he gets hit or chopped, he sounds like he's in pain. Yeah. He's like, oh, God, oh, God. And he does the... <laughs> Oh God, God! You know that. Yeah. Also, one of the noisiest wrestlers ever, Albert. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. But uh, yeah, I just think his expressions, how he sold. It is a lesson to an extent, but you need to get yourself to that point. You need to get um, over first before you can do that. Yeah, you need to uh, walk before you can run. Yeah. But at this point, at this point, Flair was crawling and getting mad reactions. Yeah, there's an analogy that was quite good. <laughs> as, you're, as you're talking about Ric Flair and his selling, it's something that always sticks out to me. I always love when he gets Irish whipped into the top corner and he always flips over the top rope. I always oh, the messed up. up. Oh yeah, I did. I noticed that the first time I did it, he messed it up. Yeah, um, they messed it up and fixed it straight away because he just lined up against the ropes and got clotheslined over. They always, they obviously had a spot outside. Yeah. Uh, so they just were professionals. <laughs> and did yeah. it they didn't just wait five minutes and then try it again yeah third match of the night and we're going to stick with you spud Alan, i know you're chopping at the bit there to get on the mic here again but uh, since spud went last in the second match he's going to open this one 
two wrestlers in the mid card, both mm-hmm. quality workers. Both of them have legendary status. Edge recently returned to WWE. Edge and Eddie Guerrero. What do you mm-hmm. think? Uh, two of my favorites. Another one that I was surprised was on the card. Uh, I only remembered like the opener and the last two matches. This is a fantastic match. It was fun. It was fast. It was uh-huh. Eddie, just, Eddie just focusing on a body part. It was the shoulder. Yeah. And doing everything towards it. He'd done a mad jumping top rope shoulder breaker. I love Eddie. I love Hale Eddie straight away. Yeah. And I love Spanish guys, Japanese guys shouting in their native language. I think it's underrated and underused. It adds a bit of realism, I, doesn't it? You know, it makes yeah. it sound like they actually are frustrated or they're passionate or whatever. Yeah, like shouting at the ref, like that should have been three in Spanish. <laughs> Just adds a little thing or shouting to the guy. Fast start, very even match, very quick. Uh, his shoulder was ruined. Amazing match. Edge is a star. At one point, the commentators say Eddie's jealous of Edge because Edge is a sex symbol, <laughs> which came out of nowhere for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he did the frog splash from the top rope onto his shoulder. I just love little things like that. Nobody works a works a, a, a body part anymore, or if they do, they forget about it halfway through the match. Fun. There was a couple of really... Amazing Northern Knights suplexes, a couple of suplexes in general. Education, his DDT might be the most kicked out of finish of all time. <laughs> it might be. I mean, it's not even his finisher anymore, but yeah, just a great all-round match. Two big stars coming up just shows how much faith was put in there. Also, the fact that they go on to SmackDown to be the SmackDown 6, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um. Heyman was there, obviously, and he was in charge of the SmackDown, so he obviously looked at that match. He had to have been watching that match. Yeah. And being like, these are the two guys that I can build a brand on. And that was, that was uh, around the time of SmackDown, too, that Raw really had the star power, and SmackDown was sort of trying to create stars, and it was really yes. putting on the better quality wrestling, whereas Raw sort of had the bigger name, bigger storyline type thing. And... Every time you watch SmackDown, like, that was a great match. That was a brilliant match. That yep. was a class match or whatever. And these two really epitomized it uh, to an extent, along with a couple of the other guys. Yeah. Um, like I said, SmackDown 6 or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's just a, it was a fun match. Really, really good. Two young guys that are going to be, well, going different directions, I suppose. But it was Edge that won. He won with a spear, didn't he? Yeah, execution and then a spear, yeah. Yeah, loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. What do you think, Alan? Kind of sad Edge came back, to be honest, because he was phenomenal. For 10 years, he was as good as it gets as a, as a heel. Eddie Guerrero was brilliant. He sold like nobody else. He had charisma that was just not... It didn't seem forced in any way. Not long back to the WWE, I think, did he get let go over... Uh, getting caught drink driving or something. He wasn't long back, and this is one of his first feuds. He just moved to SmackDown before it. This match, as well, it made sense. It was another one of those things that the storytelling at the time was very good, and things made sense that they did. They didn't just have a have like a Hell in a Cell match and then go on to a different type of match. They started off this feud nice and slow, simple singles match. 
that just showed the best of both guys. And then I think they feel on the next pay-per-view had a no disqualification match later on. Because they really know the background of this match and stuff. So I was watching it, I thought I'd check it out. And it really was setting these two up to be huge stars. It showed what they could do in the ring with each other that over the next few years kind of elevated SmackDown to be the A show, as they like to refer to everything these days. Yeah, the match itself, like even the fact that Eddie Guerrero did his frog frog splash finisher, but on the edge's shoulder specifically, rather than just hitting it like a move. Everything was targeted. Everything in that match made sense, apart from, as you mentioned, the sex symbol coming towards Edge, given the fact that Eddie Guerrero, for like two of the previous years, had been referred to as Latino Heat and solely referred to as like a sex symbol. Not much more to add, really. The match was, was brilliant. It was consistent throughout. As you say, they focused on a body part, and that body part actually seemed to be injured throughout the match. And then, yeah, did, it, did Edge ever win a singles match with <laughs> Education? Um, no, I don't think he won so. a, few, won a few tag team matches like, with it, but I don't think he ever won a match of any, maybe the odd throwaway match on like SmackDown or something, but did he ever win a significant match with it? Um, I don't think so, but yeah, it made sense. It made, again, as we touched on with Edge and Kurt Angle, nobody, while it went down as a loss in the Rago Brooks Ready, nobody lost in this match. They both looked really good. Eddie was just on the SmackDown. They had a couple more matches. They both came out looking strong. And it was great fun. Two of my favourites to watch. Watching it back, I had forgot they even had a rivalry outside of tag teams um, at that stage. Uh, so to watch back was good fun to see two of them just as they were about to really take off in WWE. Was was good. was good enjoyment to watch. And it was a nice filler match. It didn't... It wasn't a go-make-a-cup-of-tea match, as, as a lot of matches are in the middle of the card these days. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something like, if we if we talk about maybe the undercard in this pay-per-view, there's six matches in total, and we're halfway there. Um, we've already looked at matches and went, this is good, this is good, and this is good. And one of the th- recurrent themes that I'm seeing through these matches is the selling. Like, Eddie done something to edge his shoulder going into the pay-per-view. He focused on the shoulder the whole match. He tried to nail the shoulder. He frog-splashed the shoulder. Flair sold exceptionally well. Jericho sold well. Angle and Mysterio sold well. It was just such a well-put-together undercard. And it, and it continues. And probably a match on paper that maybe doesn't hold as much stock, <coughs> I guess, compared to the previous three. But a match I really, really enjoyed, and, a, and one specific tag team. I, I like both these teams, but one of them in particular I loved, and it was the Un-Americans, Lance Storm and Christian. They had a brilliant, hilariously <coughs> heelish promo, I thought, before this match. And they went into this match. Decent match, was nothing spectacular, but the crowd did pop for the hot tag to Booker T, which is basic tag team 101 wrestling. Alan, you could start this time. Any thoughts on Booker T and Goldust against Storm and Christian? It was almost in there just for the enjoyment factor. You had the Americans doing their sort of comedic, heelish interview beforehand, which which I really enjoyed, actually. Sometimes you get, you know, I think Spot touched on it, maybe on a previous podcast, where you get your Russians or your Ukrainians or your fake Russians um, from Bulgaria who come in and they just spew the same lines. Um, Christian especially stood out for me in that promo 
the match kicked off with them coming in with their upside down American flag. Yeah, I popped for that. <clears throat> it, it all made sense, and Van Storm's one of the you did. I know you just did the underrated pay per view, or not pay per view podcast, and two guys in this match were two of the most underrated wrestlers ever for me. Lance Storm, who in the ring, he kind of got buried by Austin with the boring chance and Goldust or Dustin Rhodes, whatever you want to call him. Such a good wrestler. Got oh. landed with an absolute horrid gimmick and made the most of it. And this match is brilliant. He's yeah. so good, so fluid. It's funny um, as you're saying, Al, about them being <clears throat> underrated because when I sent a tweet out last night just to promote the underrated podcast, I actually... On one of my follow-up tweets, he actually said I have to apologise for Lud Storm just for not even mentioning him because he was so so good. So good. Um, one of the things I liked was Test's running and Test to give Booker <laughs> T the big boot because you were just desperate for Test to get his later on in the show. I thought it just added a little bit of flavour there. It made sense. Yeah, it really did. Again, it's something we touched on before, but sometimes matches in pay-per-view seem like they're individual shows whereas this it did i don't think it was coincidence that the test taker match went on after this not directly after it but you know it was later in the card and it almost added the lot hatred of test that he's come in and, and booted booker t booker t's another one that got kind of lumbered with being an ex wcw guy and they didn't really want to give him the best i, I almost think that they put him with gold dust as you know a bit of a I put down somewhat, but he took the ball and he ran with it, and he made a, they made a great tag team. There were some subtle wee things in the match, like um, Booker he hitting his, his double scissor kick on both Storm and Christian. He got his moment to do his spinner inning, which, for something that's not in any way a wrestling move, it's not even a good breakdancing move. It's really awkward looking, but the crowd <laughs> loved it every time. It was so slow. He took 30 seconds to get up from it, but everyone loved it. I remember the time I loved it. Like, I couldn't wait. I was like, is he going to do a spin already in this match? And you would find yourself on a night out doing it. Like, like yes, five time. Um, so yeah, it was just a good fun match, and the Un-Americans, I agree, were, were a fantastic um, tag team. I know you loved them, personally. I'm actually surprised, given the fact that I know someone else you love, that you didn't include the heat match before this pay-per-view in, in the review, um, given that your hero, Stevie Richards, was in it. But, um, I, thought yeah. I, could, I thought I couldn't use that because <coughs> Nate is not here um, to bring up Stevie yeah. Richards and say this is one of the first times he's wrestled in four years without wearing black pants or something. So <laughs> I felt but, I couldn't, um, go, couldn't go down that route. Yeah, there's not really much more to say. I think it was just in there. Obviously, it's the tag team titles. The Un-Americans are very underrated set of tag team champions but yeah. it was good I enjoyed it it was it was what it was it was sort of a 10 minute filler match between Edge and Eddie and then moving on to the bigger matches yeah it got what you wanted it got the pop from the crowd it got the heels booed even more and heeled even more for the interference it was another interference though that made sense and um, you know Tess coming down it wasn't over egged it wasn't like he was there for ages or he did five different things he came in did a big button Booker T got taken out moved on to the next thing um, so yeah it was, a, it was a good match probably underrated on the card because of the other fantastic matches on it but it was it was enjoyable yeah Spudgun any thoughts yes 
it was like an old school sort of wrestling match. I think Lance and uh, Christian are obviously tag team guys from back in the day. Uh, they were doing the trip when they're coming from. Do you know where the the guy goes and pulls them off the apron? Yeah, <laughs> love that. It's like you never see that anymore. It's so underrated, um, isn't it? It's so heelish. Yeah, it's, it's so heelish. It's so easy. It's it's such an easy move. It's an easy move to take. USA chance. Nobody was over in this match except America. Booker <laughs> T and Goldust just benefited from being born a couple of miles south from Lance and Christian. On Americans, the Canadian thing is the easiest and most harmless, I would say. Foreigner versus gimmick. I'm doing quotation marks there. Uh, versus uh, American thing. Because yeah. Yeah. it's literally just... I don't like America. JR hates when people don't like America. Yeah, and he's, he, I, I, don't, I don't know whether he actually hates it or he just sells it well, but, it, but he's brilliant at it. Do you know he what? I sold think, the life out of it in that match anyway. <laughs> yeah, he was not impressed with Test running in. How could they? These guys are fighting for their country. It's like, <laughs> all right, calm down, JR, come on. A couple of things. The USA, like uh, the crowd chanting USA, USA. <clears throat> Works with this match, doesn't work with Brett versus Yoko in WrestleMania 9. <laughs> think think about that. Like, Americans just chant USA no matter what. Tess comes in. They show the replay. It's one of the worst replays I've ever shown because the referee is staring at Tess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you see the referee on the ground, quote-unquote, knocked out. He is looking at Tess. We all seen him. He's six foot seven or whatever, and he's putting Booker T in the face. Anyway, we're talking about, we've always said about the placement of matches on cards. I think this is one of the best ordered, I suppose you would say, top yeah. to bottom uh, cards that WWE's ever put on. This is just there, and it's, it's honestly, it's a great match. It's a solid, solid tag match. You were up from the previous one. You were up before that, and then the opener's mad. Oh, and then, oh, flare, and then up, down, up, down. It's not like, oh, right, like Alan says, it's not the cup of tea match. You still wanted to see it. Yeah. So this is one of the best kind of uh, set pay-per-views that they've ever done, top to bottom. I've watched a lot, and yeah, this would be up there. Has to be. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking about match placement, I thought this was brilliant because you had an actual, like, wrestling 101, Edge Eddie Guerrero and then you had just something different thrown in the middle and then you had another excellent wrestling match between Chris Benoit and Rob Van Dam Spud yeah. Spud talk to me Chris Benoit Rob Van Dam just before that yeah we, oh we go back to Bischoff and Steph just before that uh-huh. right so remember Nydia that's right there was the snogging thing yeah in New so York. Uh, it was that New York. I don't know if it was still called WWE New York or it was, it was called it, something. It was the world. The world. But it was the same place, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep, it was. Um, so it was Nydia and Jamie Noble, who I believe was meant to be her cousin. Is that true or have I made that up? I don't know if they were if that was a storyline or one of the commentators said that, but they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And I think it was a throwaway line from a commentator. Being like, oh, I, I think, just I think he's it. actually her cousin or something. Because it's probably it, King. It's probably yeah, King. Yeah, because it played yeah. into the whole, like, they were from, like, um, a trailer park or something. <laughs> it was, like, yeah. part of the gimmick they were going with. 
So the whole thing was there was three guys, three obvious developmental wrestlers that were standing there and Nydia just had to pick one to jump on and molest. <laughs> and so Nydia just picked some poor guy and do you know who loves it? Jimmy Noble. He's standing there going, yeah, yeah, go on, give it to him. And do you know who else loves it? Eric Bischoff. We'll cut back to Eric Bischoff and he loves it. And then Steph, we are shiny legs. Uh, said, well, women should be on top. It's where women should be. And I am I wrote this down because I forgot all about it. I'm like, Vince wrote this? Or Vince at least cleared <laughs> Eric Bischoff and his daughter, the mother of his grandchildren, to sit and flirt with each other. Now, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but Eric Bischoff kissed... Linda. That is true. That happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because he said, you're quite a big breasted woman, aren't you? Or something like that. <laughs> and then just got laid in there. Yeah. So Vince did that. Then a while before, it's just, uh, what about Stephanie? Do you want to make out with these lesbians? Yeah, let's go, let's go for it. And then Albert's going to beat your head in. What's wrong with Vince? Was, Nobody did, thinks about this. Did Vince not push a um a storyline yes. between him and stephanie we're gonna be yes. like sort of getting it on and, and stephanie was like no definitely not and she completely stephanie, shot it down stephanie was legitimately pregnant and uh vince is like happy days this is an opportunity let's ruin everybody's lives uh i want to be the dad and stephanie's like no I t- dad no that's that's too much and he went okay 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 what about Shane? <laughs> the man's a maniac. The man is a header, but this is what I'm thinking of. It's like, Eric Bischoff, uh, you can just sit and stare at my sister, or my sister, my uh, daughter. Sister just, would be better. I mean, if he had a sister, he probably, would, he, probably, he probably would have tried that too. He probably has had a sister, and he's tried it. It was probably one of Godfather's hoes, his big <laughs> sister. You just don't know. But yeah, just remember. Was Jimmy Noble not cruiserweight champion at this time too? Like he had a he had a yes, title. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yes, he was hoping or had it around his waist, and he's going, "Yeah, Nidia, get her, get him, get him." <laughs> just like, two why, weird why after the other, wasn't it? Very strange, man. Very strange. But yeah, sorry I, for interrupting. I, I, I had tried to forget that. I was quite glad when Potsy skipped past it, but yeah, traumatized again. <laughs> I just, I just didn't take Trump. notes on the on the stuff in between. I probably should have known that, uh, especially now that Spud wants to go into it. Chris Benoit versus Rob Van Dam. Right. Um, see with this, right, it was a good match. I'm not going to get into minutiae of it. I'm not just going to go nuts, apart from the fact that Benoit was huge, like I said about Eddie earlier. Yeah. Um, suplexes, kicks... Everything was snug, stiff. I love Benoit's kicks and chops. I lo- I think they look real, legit. One thing I'll say, and I don't know, I, I want your opinion actually, guys. Um, RVD, I've always thought he's he's fun to play as and a like a PlayStation game, but I've always found him a little bit like sloppy, especially in this match. I just think he's a little bit, he doesn't care, whatever. I don't know why he would be so relaxed. I've no 
no idea why he would be just sort of laid back. But see, like he just looked a wee bit like, and I, I've always thought this, like he looks like he doesn't care. And I don't know if it's the fact that he's so naturally talented that he knows he'll have a decent match. Whereas the likes of uh, Jeff Hardy doesn't care because he doesn't care if he gets his head. He doesn't care if he breaks his neck. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, he I, I, would, I, I would agree with you, Van Dam. I think he, well, I think for a start he's probably on something. But I heard I listened to Rob Van Dam on Austin's podcast, and even when he was champion, he just said he just to him it's just a business, and it was just about making money and having fun and enjoying himself. And hundred percent. And I and I think that's all it is. That's what I think. He he knows he's talented. He knows he's good. He's one of those guys that's consistently over regardless of storyline, regardless if he's a tag team, a single, whatever, Van Damme's getting a pop, and that's just it. And I think yeah. he's just he just goes out there, happy as Larry, just to go and do whatever he has to do. If he was told, Rob, you're losing the title to Benoit, or you're not regaining the title from Benoit, he's like, okay, dude, no problem. Or, yeah. or if it's like, okay, it's your turn, you're going to win the five stars, like, awesome, dude, and he just goes and does it. He just strikes <laughs> me as that type of character. <laughs> Yeah, he's just happy to be there. We were talking about Ricochet the last podcast. He's just yeah. happy to be doing what he loves. But yeah. it, it's just something about it. I always feel he's a little bit sloppy. Uh, the split leg moonsault, I think, is awful looking. It looks good, but it never hits or it never hits properly. It's like Starship Pain or whatever. Johnny Nitro, what do you call him these days? Morrison. Morrison. Yeah. There's a couple of things with this match, right? Uh, one I just thought was really funny. RVD does his nip up on the top rope, and he's got his back to Benoit. And Benoit pushes him like he always. That's one of RVD's spots. He gets pushed out on the floor. Yeah. And the crowd go ooh, and then there's one guy that just goes suck it up. <laughs> the RVD <laughs> right in his face, and I just thought that's yeah. You tell him. You tell him with your beer sitting there. Uh, <laughs> Also, I really, I don't know if this is bad booking or if I'm just looking at it too hard, but they missed three diving moves in a row. Like, uh, so RVD does his moonsault, his split leg moonsault. Uh, Benoit got the knees up and went up to the top, did a headbutt. He missed, he moved, and then RVD tried to five star straight away, and he missed. And I'm like, that's bad. That's bad, guys. <laughs> like, this is it. RVD's crazy over. I love the uh, the reverse work. RVD getting the cross face in. Love a dragon sleeper as well. You never see that. Yeah. RVD's stupid and uses the shoulder that Benoit's been looking at. Benoit does three. I think he does what one of the young bucks do. You know, the Northern Lights suplex, the rolling yeah. one. Yeah. Love yeah. that. Uh, yeah, uh, with, um, yeah fantastic move underutilized except when you're a young bug and you do it the entire length of a football field i love the finish the uh he done the five star but he like changed the midair yeah that's right and he sort of went he yeah sort of he done like his body a, positions very good but yeah. good match i think it could have been better i was expecting better to be honest i, I don't know if the bar was set so high because of the previous matches but yeah i, I wasn't as fussed on this match as I expected to be. So, yeah, it was fine. Alan, over to you. I obviously didn't remember it before, but I was a huge fan of watching Ben... While I wasn't particularly a huge Benoit fan, I was a huge fan of Benoit's matches. He just looked like everything 
hurt like hell. Everything he did was ruthless. RVD, I'm quite similar. I've never been fussed on him. I know he's massively popular. I know he can put on really good matches. I know he's supremely talented, but never find him particularly, you know, enthralling. But at the same time, I thought whenever I didn't even know his match was on the card because I just stuck it on the watch. And when it came out, and it was like, okay, Van Damme, all right, then well, this is going to be a good match. And it kind of underwhelmed me a little bit. I don't know if that's because really did enjoy Benoit so much or because the matches before were so good one thing I will throw in as I'm throwing in random facts about matches is this was the last intercontinental title match before it was actually the the Euro continental title the steel line from Artruth because he had only just recently unified it with uh, the European Championship but then the next night it became the Euro continental hardcore title because he beat Tommy Dreamer one of my other least favourite wrestlers of all time. Um, the the unified with the hardcore match. But um, I, I think the best thing about this match was probably... Not the best thing about this match. It makes it sound really awful. But the, the most interesting part about this match was the back and forth between Steph and Eric Bischoff, as cringeworthy as it was. And it gave it a bit of meaning. It was odd to build up to this match because obviously... Benoit beat Van Damme for the title, but then Benoit kind of just forgot about Van Damme all the time. There's a lot of matches with The Rock and Edge and stuff in the lead up to this, and then he's kind of just, oh, I'm back to the RVD. But yeah, I wasn't a big fan of the match. It was probably my least favourite match on, the second least favourite match on the card. We're going to come to it in a minute. But it was still, I think that says more about the strength of the card as a whole than anything derogatory about the match itself, because put it in any other pay per view or any other show really and it's going to probably stand it as a decent match but I think it just suffered from being in amongst so many exceptional matches and expecting so much out of out of the two involved that that it kind of was a bit of a letdown in my opinion and might be being harsh but yeah I just wasn't as much of a fan of it as I thought it would be when I seen the two come out to, to compete yeah I think sometimes when the when the talent comes out and it's the, these two the expectation automatically goes up so they're almost sort of a victim of their own you know success in terms of the expectation level but your least favorite match on the card probably alan we have the undertaker and test i know spud you're a huge test fan so we'll come to you next but alan you didn't like this match why not i'm disappointed that i don't like this match because like everyone who has ever watched wrestling loves the undertaker if you don't you don't like wrestling so just give up and you know go watch tennis or something um and i also really like test i thought he was going to be the state of line from the main event, the next big thing. He was, he had everything that Vince loves. He was a big guy. He had long hair. He was like Triple H 2.0 coming through. The match made a lot of sense. It carried on from the tag team match. Test had a lot of heat coming in. As we already touched on, JR hated him and verbally announced this multiple times during the match. Test would do a move. I hate that guy. Like, it literally was JR's commentary in this match. Vance Storm and Christian both interfered. It made sense again. It wasn't just a, an interference for the sake of an interference. Um, both got laid out by Undertaker. I didn't particularly dislike Big Red Evil or whatever he was called at this time. He had about four incarnations of the American Badass. I, I liked him. He wasn't the Undertaker, obviously, as, as we know and love, but he was decent. Test worked this match pretty well. Test was a good hit in this match. I'm trying to think of positive things to say because I really 
fell down a little bit, but Tess worked it well as a heel. Things like when the Undertaker went to the old school, gets the crowd up, gets the pop, kind of ruined it by throwing the ref into it. You want to see that from a heel. It's good against storytelling. I touched this before. I like to kind of get lost in it and forget that it's you know scripted and stuff, and that sort of thing sells it a little bit more. Um, didn't get disqualified, but you know, will not will not knock that. Um, and then the Undertaker got what the whole crowd wanted, got the win the match, got the stand on the top rope and wave his American flag about. That sort of stuff for me kind of takes away from a little bit. He's the Undertaker, you know, he's not this flag waving that dampened it a little bit for me, but it was it was what the crowd in, in the arena wanted. But yeah, the match kinda it was what it was. The Undertaker never really put that's a utter lie he puts on great matches all the time but this just wasn't the Undertaker at his, at his best it was kind of just a match for the sake of a match probably should have been a bit we, we, I know you touched on great match placement in this card probably should have either been after the next match just to give you a bit of a break in between the two or earlier in the card because it was a bit of a nothing match for me really bar the fact that it was a chance for the Undertaker to, to go over and get the wave of the flag about a little bit and for one of the un-Americans to get beat because they can't have all the Canadians winning on the same night or you know Spud, any thoughts? Just I just googled test right because well not today I googled it while I was watching this because Jr. Uh, along with putting test on for being a dirty dirty Canadian, he also uh, said test has got a massive future ahead of him filled with gold. <laughs> I can tell you here now he does not. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have that much of a future at all. Uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> uh, but see, in 2001, he was voted 37th. This is test in the top 500 wrestlers in PWI. It's uh, Pro Wrestling Insider. 37th in the world. Test. <laughs> really, really let that settle in. There was an Un-Americans video, and Jr. wants them to go home. Also, um, <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure they're only about 50 miles from Canada at this point. If they're in New Jersey, I'm not 100%. Yeah. In the video package, I think it's Christian says the youth of America today would be able to name more Britney Spears songs than quote the Bill of Rights. <laughs> and I'm like, right. well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> same. 100%. It was a big hoss match. They're back and forward. I actually think Test looked well here. But what I also noticed, Test is Kevin Nash. <laughs> Test is legitimately Kevin Nash. He does the knees in the corner. He does the elbows. He does the big boot. He does a powerbomb. He's literally, he's like a, a, a slightly more athletic. Also, he does the top rope elbow draw, and I'm pretty sure if... Uh, Kevin Nash did, did that, he would explode. But <laughs> there's a couple of things like uh, Taker did a really good back suplex. He got through into the stairs at one point, and that might have been where both his hips exploded. This was awful looking. It was like a, a Mick Foley bump into the stairs. Yeah. He used to do that run in DDT, you know, where people duck down. Yeah, that's right. And instead of like kicking them in the face or doing the gold dust uppercut. He just grabbed them and done it. I love that. I love that move. Choke slam. Here's it. Right. Again, I'm always trying to focus on the positive for a change. But JR, right. So there was a choke slam. Test kicked out. And JR says, you can count on one hand 
who you've kicked out of the choke slam. <laughs> now, that is true, but you would need to use that one hand dozens of times. <laughs> and keep, keep a tally of it in your head. Lance and Christian, they get choke slammed and Big Bird, whatever. Uh, Tess got a chair kick back in his face like that. Tombstone. Here's another one. <laughs> right. So he did the tombstone. He sort of semi-retired that when he done the midlife crisis taker. He started doing the last ride, but test is too big to do the last ride too. <laughs> so you do a tombstone and JR says, oh, look what's coming out of mothballs. And King says, test, welcome to tombstone, which I have no idea what means. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Also, talking about Undertaker, I don't know if this is a plant or not with the flag, but he straight up steals a fan's flag. I thought that when I watched that. I mean, did he just go and take a fan's flag? I bet he walked into the crowd because he seen one, and he's like, can I have the flag? And the, the fan's like, yes, yes, yes. Maybe, but he also had the forefront, uh, or the forward thinking of thinking, I'm going to grab that flag. Do you know what he didn't think about? Holding it the right way round. Yeah, there was that day. <laughs> it is backwards, and it's it did my head in. He stole that fella's flag. And he held it backwards. That's worse than what the un-Americans are doing. At least yeah. they use their ignorance on their sleeve. Uh, <laughs> it was fine. It got the crowd popped. It's the weakest of the night, 100%. I would agree with Alan. Yeah. But I didn't like Taker at this point. The more we talk about it, the more I watch, I didn't know how much I disliked motorbike Taker, midlife price Taker. <laughs> The more I watch, I no. What was the sting tune for this? That's Dear Man Walker. Yeah. You don't it now. All that. Ah, oh, what a loser. It just, like, here, uh, take the stairs away because Undertaker has to do a wee lap of our, of our ring. So we need to put stairs somewhere so he has plenty of room to go around. I just, and he's walking it. You know where he walked his bike? Round the ring. But he couldn't go full pelt on a Harley Davidson or whatever he was. So he just kind of like, he was plodding along on his feet. Ah, such a loser version of Undertaker. <laughs> Fine. Um, again, America's over. Undertaker isn't. He's yeah. just there. Yeah. It's the, the vessel. Because of... he's carrying the American flag, he's fighting the Americans, yeah. he's over. Well, moving on from this one, we've got our two main events, <coughs> two big main events for quality workers. But before we do that, I want to throw up not counting the dark match, Stephen Richards and Spike Dudley. There's 18, there's 18 wrestlers who have a match on this card. 15 of them became world champions. Wow. Only only Lance Storm, Goldust and Test were the only people not to hold world title gold. Which says a lot about this card. The people on it, how they were booked, how they continue to be booked the writing at the time i just thought it was very very good when you look at that 15 out of 18 competitors on this SummerSlam card were world champions it's pretty that's a great show pretty impressive that's yeah, a really good, good. Right, yeah yeah i mean i actually didn't even realize that until i was looking through the card as we're on the podcast and i said oh wait a minute angle and ray that's a world <laughs> title feud flair and jericho that's a world title feud uh, Jerry. yeah, yeah no 100%. And i was just sort of going through but every match at some point there was even every match had someone in it even though maybe Lance Storm and Goldust never got to the top level Christian and Booker T did Taker was obviously a world champion and then we'll have arguably two of the 
greatest world champions in terms of what people might argue up next between Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Um, who wants to start this one? And I'll go to the other one to start Rock and Brock. But who who would like to start with Triple H and Shawn? I'll go with a bit of controversy first of all, okay. <laughs> um, which I would never quote any of that. I wish this match had never happened because I now don't get me wrong, the match is fantastic. There are some brilliant storylines come off the back of it. The build up was great. It hooked me. Like it's one of the few matches you remember from the time. It hooked me in. But Sean, why did you have to come back? Like stay retired. Well, not even touching the fact that he's came back again after his second retirement. The, on, the only reason I'm glad this match happened, there's some fantastic stuff come off the back of it. All right, obviously, he has his feud with Ric Flair and Jericho, and suddenly I'm talking to him being glad it happened. I'm glad he came back, because the Undertaker match is worth it. But, yeah, like... Everything about Shawn Michaels beforehand was special. He was... Like, he had this aura of like almost myth about him before this match like people that hadn't seen him were like oh it was Shawn Michaels he was the best ever and he came back and yes he had some fantastic feuds yes he had some fantastic matches wrestling world in general would be worse off probably the best mania match ever against Undertaker came after this one but I don't know there's just something about it that I kind of wish he just stayed retired and and kept that myth because then he went on I still think despite the fact he retired after Mania he went on a bit too long and then he came back again those awful god awful matches and with Triple H and Taker and Kane would never have happened if he hadn't have came back for this match Um, but yeah that being said the match was fantastic Um, Shawn Michaels took one hell of a beating in this match and um, the commentary team sold it like you actually this was JR at his best you could almost hear the pain in JR's voice as if he was the one getting beat up um, by, by Triple H <laughs> it was brutal to watch at times you thought Triple H is going to end Shawn Michaels' career that he hasn't even had um, it was one of the most unexpected turns I've at that point ever seen and still to this day probably the most unexpected alongside maybe not on as a, a big a grander scale but alongside Seth Rollins turning on the shield is probably the only thing I can think of that comes close to the list as someone turning on the, their mate it was just everything about the storytelling this match was great it obviously led on to, to some other big things um, I'll not go into too much about the match itself um, because I'll leave that for first of all the, the breakdown for us a little bit. But yeah, I really enjoy, I really enjoyed the match. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it told the story really well. I, I think for from a story point of view, it'd be better if Triple H had a one. Um, but Sean had the win. It was his first match in four years or something. Um, and the way they ended, uh, sometimes matches are enough to the end and they have this non-sanctioned match and you think okay this is this is it whoever wins here is like the guy it's done and dusted but no triple h being the ultimate heel that then took over wwe was like nah i'm not having that you won the match whack have a sledgehammer to back and it looked it wasn't like the way you see a sledgehammer where he puts his hand over the top of it and 
your granny who's never watched wrestling can see these like just pretending himless. It was like a proper swing right in the back, and you're like, they're kind of going, how does that work and not actually break his back? Even though you know that it's it's staged, you're still like, so Michaels is never going to walk again. Never mind have a wrestling match. So yeah, the whole thing just was a proper fight. It wasn't a wrestling match. It looked like a proper fight and. That's what it's supposed to be. We touched on before about people got into matches where they're meant to hate each other and starting off with lockup. Nah, not this. These two just beat the life each other. Shawn Michaels came straight out, punching and kicking and trying to do anything he could to, to hurt Triple H. And Triple H focused on the back. Backbreaker after backbreaker after backbreaker to start the match off. Um, so it all made sense. It was a fight. It wasn't supposed to be a wrestling match and they sold it that way. So many times you see these fights, street fights and stuff where they're putting each other in like headlocks and arm ringers. Nah, just beat the life out of each other. And, and that's what they did here. It's fun. Yeah. Before we go to Spud with this, one thing I loved was every time John Michaels got a little tiny bit of momentum, Triple H would do a big move, a backbreaker, a big clothesline, and it would knock Sean down, but the, it would completely silence the crowd. So when Sean later on the match, started to tweak and started to get some offense in, the crowd just popped and it exploded. And I loved that little bit of subtle storytelling to get the crowd up for the the bit bigger moments or the high spots later on in the match Spud the one over to you just before, the, oh, yep go ahead Al, and just then for the, cost, the one negative in this match is and while I said that I understand why Shawn Michaels had the win don't win it with a roll up like he's put him through a table he's been pedigreed he's been like done an elbow drop off a ladder and stuff and then he went like this is a feud where you this guy's trying to end your career that you haven't really got this time like you don't roll them up for a win. Like, make it something special to finish the match if you're going to go through all that. That bugs me. I, I remember watching it and I forgot that's how I won. And it just came back in my head there. And I was like, no, that annoyed me watching that. And it annoyed me thinking about it again. Like, that's not how a match like, should end. Thoughts? <clears throat> I've never agreed and disagreed with somebody so much in my life. Okay, so <laughs> I've literally wrote down here was anyone shocked that Triple H did it? Like you said, it was one of the most surprising, uh, like comparing it to Seth turning on the shield. But he'd already turned on him and then attacked him. They did it in a weird order. They did the DX comeback and he pedigreed him. Then he got attacked in a car park and Triple H is like, I'm going to find out who it was, Sean. I'm like, well, obviously it's Triple H. Who else could it be? <laughs> like, he mm. literally turned on him a couple of weeks previous. Yeah. I thought they did that strange. You were right about... At, well, no, sorry. Let's, when he came back, I think... Again, I'm watching some old stuff. So I'm seeing Sean M. Raw, 96, 97. <coughs> I... Uh, it, thank God he came back because he had his best moments after his comeback. He had way better matches right across the board. He had way more people to work with right across the board. And look at it. You've got your taker matches at Mania. Fair enough. You had John Cena matches. That time they did an hour-long match at Raw in London. Yeah. Remember that? You had the Kurt Angle match. You had the Jericho WrestleMania match. You had the uh, you had the Hogan SummerSlam match, which was hilarious. Yeah. You had the Vince Street Fight. 
loads of matches like afterwards. I did, but that's just personal opinion. That's just me spouting. Right. So this is pre wobbly eye, Sean, <laughs> which I've wrote down because I'm an idiot. It's nice of WWE to give them pyro and referees in a time slot in one of their biggest pay-per-views, even though it's unsanctioned. <laughs> but I've always thought that's really nice of them to do. He came in with a uh, a t-shirt with a Bible verse on it, yeah. and I thought it was going to be some sort of eye for an eye thing. Did you look up what it was? Yeah, it's I can do all things through Christ that strengthens Christ. me. Yeah, uh, Philippians 4.13. Uh, I just thought that was cool. Um, a pop for cocky corner HBK. Do you know where he puts his feet up? Yeah. yeah he does. I, I think that's class. Like Alan said, the blood feud, they're just straight into punching. No headlocks, no uh, show of strengths or whatever. thought that was class. JR put on a master class. He treated this like a uh, main event because it is the last match that he calls on the night. He's begging. Earl Hebner, who we'll get to in a minute. Earl Hebner to fast count towards the end. He's like, just fast count him, Earl. Just finish it, you know, because yeah. he's just, he's going through it. Please, Earl, call it off, call it off. And he says at one point, uh, oh, God, I want to see arms and legs moving because it's all back-based. He's literally, like, panicking for his friend, Sean. Thought JR had a blinder. In this match, I slabbered about him a couple of times earlier in the in the pay-per-view, but this is one of the best. Shawn Michaels is wrestling in cowboy boots. Why? <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought he looked silly. Um, I, like Alan said again, the whole backbreakers thing, I love that he'd done the backbreaker on the chair, yeah. and then the chair was so mangled that Triple H at one point like puts it on the ground, has to stamp it flat. Uh, just so he can do another move on to it. He goes for the, like, uh, Peter Gabriel has a wee chubby moment where Triple H goes for a sledgehammer. I hate Earl Hebner. Earl Hebner, the, the more I watch the old stuff, I hate him. And him and Triple H had this weird feud for about four years where they're constantly at each other and Earl Hebner would push back and the crowd would pop a little bit. See the amount of time that Earl Hebner and him are squaring up to each other? It's like a minute. And Earl's like, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off, come on, knock it off. The most annoying referee going, legitimately. <laughs> Agree. Agree. Legitimately, he's constantly in the way. Being, I think if you're a referee, and we're going to talk to a referee in a later podcast, so he would give some insight. I'd, I'd like to ask him about this, actually. It's to be there, but not be seen. I think, I, don't go so far as what WWE have done and uh, stop naming them and give them nothing like yeah. we know we know tim white earl hebner jimmy corderas mike Kyoto. i couldn't tell you like the ones that are floating about today except maybe the the girl one that i, I forget her name actually so no that that are you, as well. are, you, are you talking the AEW one referee aubrey that no. uh, every internet troll wrestling fan has a crush on the no. last referee that i could tell you the name of is uh lil nates charles robinson <laughs> yeah he's still there he's probably the only one still, still there that you can really click and go oh yeah Earl Hebner really took me out of this match. I love this match. I think it's great. It's great working on the back. Uh, the cerebral assassin working on the back. Just because it all built up to HBK doing a nip-up. That yeah. got 
the pop of the match at least possibly the he night just did well. <laughs> maybe the night I was going to say the night but um, he got the pop of the match at the very least because he just did a nip up and he does it every match and he shouldn't by the way I just I, it's all building up to that and it's like and JR popped and King's like oh and everybody I popped and I've seen it I knew it was coming so um, yeah I like the whole I like the table spot where he did the I'm crazy like do you know where he got up and put he dived through the table and he done the what, what would you call that sort of move like, it was just like a big splash wasn't it yeah, no no splash. but before he did it he did, the, he did the crowd where he's like I'm crazy you know like yeah, twirling symbol, his finger yeah I'm trying to think of what that is more than anything but they did a cool uh, the whole time the crowd were chanting for tables and I'm like, just wait. You know there's going to be a table. Yeah. It's 2002. All right. It's a blood feud. You know there's a, You've seen the tables when they pull back the apron. Just wait. And, uh, we want tables. We want tables. It might be the only time that a fire hydrant or what do you call it? Extinguisher has been shown and not been sprayed. You just hit him in the head with it. Yeah. Which I loved. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were both gross with blood, especially Triple H. Like, oh, he was gross. Like, ugh. Like, <coughs> disgusting. Chair shots to the head. I hate. Um, just because of the history and whatever. Um, he did this really cool bulldog into the steps. Let me see what else. Um, before he hits the elbow drop off the ladder, you know, the in the ring, he's like, I love each and every one of you. I thought that was pretty cool. Um... JR's voice sounds raw. King's yeah. happy. Like, King's literally ecstatic that it's happened, and he's usually the hill side of things where he would be siding with Triple H. I thought it was just the most naturally, like, oh my god, he's back. Happy days, he's turned his life around. This is great. And yeah, as soon as he wins, there's no time to celebrate. He hits him in the back. Uh, there's a CM Punk line. I've seen you hit hundreds of people with sledgehammers and you haven't killed anybody yet. Something along those lines. This yeah. is as close as it's been. I think he did something similar to Vince a couple of years previous, but he just hit him in like the top of the neck, sort of between the shoulders. Why not just do that instead of the hand thing? I hate the hand thing. But he's the best heel going at this point. JR hates him. Yeah. He's got... HBK beat your ass, you son of a gun, or son of a gun, son of a bitch. And it's like, he's so annoyed that it's happened. And he's right. It's literally, it was like five seconds before he just got up. Because it was a roll-up, I think this is actually where I disagree again with Alan. Because it was a roll-up, he was able to get up and just do that straight away. I think if I had like a a sweet chin music where he like falls into them, you know, like he does in a couple of matches... There's the excuse where the heel would be sort of lying there and recovering, whereas this gives an excuse just to get up and smack him with a hammer. I love this match. This is one of the best matches. Um, we're com- again because you, I always sort of come across as a little bit AEW unbiased, but if we're comparing the hardcore matches that AEW have had compared to this, not that much happened in this. There was no thumbtacks, no glass, no uh, going up into the 
not even through the crowd or anything like that. Yeah. It was just storytelling by two friends that got each other and knew how to get over. And I really just thought, this this is what it should be about. You can have blood. You can have hammers and chairs and stairs and tables and whatever. But you don't need to be like killing each other and kicking out every time. Like the fact that it ended with a with a roll up said a lot to me. Yeah. It's like he literally he caught him with a wrestling hold. No matter how much he beat him down, he caught him with a wrestling hold. He is the best wrestler of the night. That's what I was going for, and that's kind of Triple H's arc against uh, Shawn Michaels has always kind of been in my head. That he's always been that one step better than him. Yeah. And this proves that I love. Love, 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 love this match. Except for all, if I had been Jimmy or Mike as the ref, this would have been a different. This would have been a ten out of ten. It was a nine and a half because of Earl Hebner. <laughs> I think um, just to, to jump on some of the stuff you said there, I I think the way you put, it, I understand the finish. Um, and yes, given that the fall, it does make a great deal of sense. And you're right, the fact that it happens, there's no like. You kind of go into that match expecting Shawn Michaels is going to get the win here, and he's going to like have this big like celebration. There'll be fireworks going off and all, and you're almost expecting that, and the crowd's expecting it, and Jr. and uh, Kane are expecting it, and then suddenly it's like, boom! This is wrestling. You said it. This is what it's all about. This is wrestling at its finest. When it makes you feel emotion, like you're watching this thing, and you're like. There is the elation of Shawn Michaels winning. It's like, boom, straight back down to the earth. He is laid out. Um, and I, I fully, 100% agree with your assessment of Earl Hebner in this match. It goes on for so long. And you're just like, this... And I'm kind of sitting there thinking, and it did take me out of the match for a minute or two, because you're like, this is a street fight, unsanctioned. Just hit him. Just like, smack him. Really, exactly. It's is an... We were talking about Eddie Guerrero and Chris Mario being like big. Triple H is an absolute specimen of a human being. Like he is like a Greek god. And Earl Hebner is this old balding guy, like shoving him about. Like just take him out and then beat the life out of Shawn Michaels some more. So yeah, that that really did, did bug me and Earl Hebner has always bugged me and I just wish he would go away. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you on that. I think if someone else had been referee in this match and that bad been taken out of it, this is one of the the best matches to go down. And what you said about no thumbtacks and stuff, it that makes it better because it's more real. There's nothing in this match that you watch and think that looks very staged. It looks like two guys who want to hurt each other mm-hmm. and like if you were having like if you were having a fight in the street, you'd be like, oh, I wonder if I can go and lift a bag and find some nails to throw on the floor to throw them into. You'd be like, I'm gonna smash your head off the closest thing I can find to me, and that's what these two do. It's, I don't think you can say it off with how brilliant a story this match is, which leads me to believe that my thoughts of hoping this never happens is probably just because I don't really like Shawn Michaels and I don't really know why. But yeah, you're also right in what you said that his best matches did happen after this. I just never really liked him, but I like a lot of his matches. He's like the opposite of Chris Benoit for me. I really like Bret Hart growing up, probably still better over the Montreal Screwjob. But so is he. Fant- 
fantastic, fantastic match. It is how proper blood feuds should be done. Beat each other up, start to finish. Don't oversell it in terms of you don't have to kill them, dig them up, kill them and rebury them. Um, yeah. Just try and end them in, in whatever way possible. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. There's no uh, there's there's no fat in the match. There's no extras that you could say, oh, you didn't need to do that. You didn't need to do that. It's uh, I'm constantly like saying wrestling's like a. I heard this from another podcast. It's as wrestling fans, you're going through a lot of, let's face it, guff to get to something fantastic. It's about moments. It's about like Sean's back. Uh, Daniel Bryan won, you know stuff like that. It's uh, it's little moments, and I think this is one of them. This is proper. I just thought it would never happen at this point, and then yeah. Shawn Michaels is back and he's changed his life and he's a good guy now. Let's go for it. Let's. I've I've always been an HBK fan, so yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, but yeah, fantastic match. Ten, well nine and a half out of ten. Yeah, because they are. I mean, I can see where both of you are coming from, and your and the points that you differ in, and what you have both said that you agree in. I would also be in agreement. Fantastic match, brilliant to have Sean back. One of the greatest ever. Triple H probably the one of the, if not the greatest heel of all time, or potentially in this era at least. I agree with something Alan you said earlier. There could have been a bit of a filler match between this and the main event, just because of how good both of them were, really. I really like the main event as well, and that's what we'll move on to next. Wait a minute. What have we forgot? What have we forgot, Spud? Oh, you, you're talking about filler? <laughs> Let's have some filler. Do you remember the Fink? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, do you remember Do you remember the Fink segment? This is why oh. there wasn't a match in between. This is, this is. These are the things I tried to forget. This was <laughs> my accent. This was wiped from my memory. You've dragged it back. My word. Well, oh, this is literally. And you know what? This was fine. Also, just before, uh, see when HBK was like getting stretchered out, Sergeant Slaughter was there. I just thought that was funny. Also, there was a fella in a big long white doctor's coat, and I'm like, he's not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he's just a fella that found that. Right, so Fink. Per, per, per Fink. I'm cringing as you say his name. Literally cringing in my chair, trying to find somewhere to hide. You know what? I thought I went into this. I like went, oh, there's Fink. What's he at? And then he started talking. And I'm like, oh, God, this is when they were trying to make Fink like a hill. And Jericho <laughs> had him uh, for a bit. And he was feuding with Lillian Garcia. So Trish came out. So why wasn't she just on the card? <laughs> but she came out. She looks better now than she did there. Fink did... It's cocky. Cocky Fink is... It actually it made me laugh. Just It's not even cringe laugh. I was just like, what's happening here? Like, why <laughs> Why is it Fink? R.I.P., by the way, Fink. I like Fink. Best <laughs> ever. But he says, hold on, honey. And I proper had to pause... He goes, hold on, honey. And I had to pause the stream just to laugh for a while. And he says, um, you think you're hot in front of an arena of Long Island skanks? I proper laughed. I'm like, Frank is class in this. Like, where's he getting all this? 
but then he says you've got the puppies and just stirred at them and <laughs> i and i have my wiener god i'm <laughs> laughing but it's because i'm gonna cry if i don't it's so bad then Lillian Garcia, who I think it was the whole thing, like, who's going to be announcing, or it was the brand split, it might have been the brand split, I don't know, but Lillian Garcia came out wearing one of Undertaker's bandanas as a shirt, <laughs> and slapped him, and that was it. They just went about their day. It's like, that's why there was no filler match, because of this. a low blow as well. I think it was a low blow, actually, the more I think about it, I didn't write down. I was writing down all of all of Fink's amazing lines. But, uh, yeah, I was like, why Why did that happen? But then, literally, it was either that or Spike Dudley versus Stephen Richards, so why not just have Fink come out and make an <laughs> idiot out of him? Yeah. Why not just tell a person that's been there three decades that you don't care about them and just make them look like an idiot in front of the world? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bad times. Yeah. Moving on from the, the bad times... Let's move to some good times and a phenomenal main event. In my opinion, one of the one of the best SummerSlam main events of all time. In terms of in-ring work, it was good. You had two stars, two believable stars, two draws. Let's put it that way, two draws, respectively. Brock Lesnar in the UFC, The Rock in, obviously, WWE, but also in, in Hollywood. Two huge names. At this stage, Brock's pretty young, pretty fresh. They're building new stars. But when you look back at this now, you realise how good this really was, in my opinion. They had a bit of a feud going on in SmackDown. Nothing too heated, not so much a blood feud like Shawn Michaels' Triple H, but enough of a feud to make whenever Lesnar was in the ring waiting for him. The Rock music hits, he comes out, he drops the belt, puts it on the ground, comes sprinting to the ring, and they just start throwing hands at each other. It was, it was believable, it was good. The Rock is a tremendous seller. As is Lesnar, when he got hit, the right man obviously went over. I just thought it was excellent throughout. Very, very hard, in my opinion, to find anything to criticise in this main event. I'm hugely, hugely like a fan of this main event. I'm trying to struggle for words now. I'm a huge fan of this main event. Dave Meltzer rated it something stupid, like 3 and 3.25 stars. Me and Spud compared other matches that were 3.25 stars or higher to this match just to have a laugh at the lunacy that Meltzer's came off with with this one Spud would you like to name just a couple of matches that maybe Disco Dave Meltzer rated higher than The Rock and Brock Lesnar yes yes I would okay the one that stands out for me and I've no idea why is Dean Malenko versus Scotty Too Hotty got four stars <laughs> Now, I, I, I love Dean Malenko. I like Scully Too Hardy, but four stars? What what did they do? <laughs> China versus Jeff Jarrett, same as Brock Rock. <laughs> Becky Lynch, Mickey James, same. Randy Orton versus Luke Harper in a throwaway match, 3.75 stars. So that was on a par with, like, Angle Ray match. <laughs> Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose at Mania. Do you know that awful one? Yeah, three point two five. That's just... refused to let Dean Ambrose do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just had a boring ass match. Yep. The one 100%. that stands out for me, just to throw my two pence in, the card opener at the worst pay per view of living memory, Hell in a Cell 2019, with that shocking finish. 
the opening match of Natalia and Lacey Evans, where they put the most hopeless-looking finishers on each other, was rated as four stars. Right there you go. What yeah. a maniac. I'm sorry. I, d- I have no time for Dave. The Rock versus Hogan is three stars, so it's less. That was yeah. the same year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, mate. I, um, I have no time for Uncle Dave. I, apart from anything, I actually, while we were talking about it and comparing stuff, the 2001 Royal Rumble, one of the best ever, I I consider ever. Yeah. It's got the same as this match. How this match lasted about 11, 12 minutes. How does that compare to a Royal <laughs> Rumble that lasts an hour? I don't get this thinking. I literally don't get this thinking. Yeah. I don't Did get you- it. Let's let's put it. Let's throw another one on there just for just for a bit of a laugh. Did you know that Fighter Fest from a couple of weeks ago, week one of Fighter Fest, every single match on that Fighter Fest card was ranked higher than The Rock and Brock Lesnar. Private yeah, Party because... versus Santana and Ortiz, 3.5. Jurassic Express versus MGF and Warlow, 4.25. Heraku Shida versus Penelope Ford, four stars. Cody versus Jake Hager who is Jack Swagger, four stars. Dave Meltzer has lost his mind. I have no idea. You know I've got serious issues with Uncle Dave. I think, apart from anything, he's been on radio for the last 20 years, and he's not as good as anybody that you've got on the podcast. (laughs) And we are not... You know, it was like, you know... uh, You know, you know, uh, like, um, you know... Kenny Omega's um, the best wrestler uh, in the world, you know, you know but uh, but Brock Lesnar, The Rock, three point two five stars, you know, you know, yeah, you know, that's my you point, know. you know, you know, you know, you know, <laughs> you know. Well, let's Dave Meltzer is just very much anti WWE unless it has an old indie star. Dave Meltzer has gave one WWE match that hasn't been on NXT five stars in I think it was CM Punk and. CM Punk and John Cena is the only yep. five-star match WWE has got that's not on NXT since Bret Hart, Steve Austin at wrestling. Uh, sorry, no, Michael's Undertaker, the first Hell in a Cell, was the last five-star match he gave WWE. <laughs> he hates them. I don't even think he hates them. I think he just does it to sound cool. Do you know what I think that it is? Guy. I think it's because WWE don't. Legitimize him as as a journalist. Like when you look at AEW, they promote some of the stuff he says. You look at other promotions have promoted some of the stuff he says. New Japan make a big deal of him being at ringside. There was a very funny clip I heard of him. He was reviewing something and he says he went to SmackDown and he brought his laptop and they wouldn't let him in with his laptop. Uh, Good. And I, all I was thinking about was here's Dave Meltzer sitting in the crowd with his laptop out trying to take notes on SmackDown. And I was like, any any actual journalist would have a box. They would be invited in. They'd be sitting a gorilla X Y Z. Here's this guy trying to get in the fan entrance through the doors like a normal fan to sit in the crowd with his laptop out to take notes on SmackDown. I think it's because He's... WWE do not legitimize him. That's personally yep. my opinion. This He's guy has eat. given Kenny Omega nearly double the amount of five-star matches that Ric Flair had in his whole career. There you go. He's got he heat at the minute with AJ Styles. Has he? Yeah. Seeing the most recent one, I actually meant to tag you in a clip. He's he's calling out AJ because AJ Styles, he moved to SmackDown and there was that whole thing where he might have had heat with 
Paul Heyman and he's yeah. like, I want to go for the SmackDown. Um, and Dave done as usual and just went with it and said, I think, you know, uh, I think, you know, um, you know, you know, noise and SmackDown. And AJ Styles just came out and called him a liar. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is not the first one so, either. Yeah. AJ's so Dave, never had a five-star match, apparently. One of no, he's, he's awful. He's awful. in the business is one of the best, not just at the minute, but ever, but never had a five-star match. I don't think Daniel Bryan's had one either, according to Dave. Yeah. Like, with me looking back, I'm actually, because I did, like, look back at all this five star and I'm like do you know there's only been like less than 10 five star WWE matches ever do you know a few of them are in NXT Andre versus WrestleMania 3 got minus four stars (laughs) part of this part of the star rating I always believe was crowd interaction but I brought it up to you that Fighter Fest wasn't in front of a crowd yeah yeah and all those were better than Rock Brock yeah. Well, now that we're buried, we're buried on Goldie. Let's stick with Rob. I'm, I'm kind of cross with this for giving him any sort of. Not that we're a massive platform, but give him any sort of publicity that wasn't making me cross. <laughs> but move it on. Move it on to Rock and Brock. I've said what I think. Spud, you're up. Rock and Brock, hit me. Cool. Um, right. Like you said, the laying the title down and running. I thought that was a great start. I talked about JR being the star of the. Triple H HBK match. Heyman was the star for this. He was shouting for Brock to make pins constantly. Yeah, yeah. He's like, pin him, pin him, pin him. It's like there's that urgency, and he he's brought it all the way until he beat like Undertaker uh, for the streak. He's always been like there shouting. I really like that, and the fact that he get put through a table as well with the safest rock bottom through a table ever. Like Rock hugged his head the entire way down. <laughs> <laughs> and like sat him down like a little baby. Love that. Um, him getting involved is great. Cole versus or Cole and Taz were fine. They were fine. Like Alan was saying, he's uh, Michael Cole is not as bad if you're not hearing him at every show and if everybody else doesn't sound like him. Um, Brock was in control for most of it. Well, not most of it, but a good lot of it. He was always like making comebacks. This is peak Brock, where it was like before he got the sword tattoo, and he's on SmackDown. And he's the guy. It's like a cheat code on SmackDown. Here comes the pain. Use Brock, and you're guaranteed to win. He did that backbreaker thing where he did three in a row. He yeah. was doing burp hugs. He was focusing on the ribs. Yeah. Love all that. I really love that. Um, the Rock looked like at one point he looked a wee bit checked out. I think the crowd got them being so pro-rock. I mean, it's different when you're against Hogan at Mania. This is against a, f- a fella that was five months into his career, his main roster career, and you're getting a 50-50 John Cena kind of style crowd yeah. saying rock versus Brock. It's, I think it got them, and to his point, he kind of started working heel a little bit, just little things, and he was looking at the crowd and kind of giving them the stink eye. Um, they did a double kip, kip up of that and it was time to perfection they were obviously because the referee was counting them both down so I think it's once he says five we'll both get up and it was to perfection uh, the crowd want Brock Lesnar to win Yeah. I have never been a massive fan of the rock in the ring 
but this is one of his worst matches, like wrestling wise, strictly wrestling wise. See his arm drags and his leg whips, sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. It's the worst sharpshooter. I know it is, and everybody said I have put a sharpshooter on better. I've seen enough. I did it. I had little brothers. I put them in the sharpshooter. 100%. Everybody did. But he was holding his legs. See if you go back and watch this. And I actually want you both to do this just to see him. Brock's knees were on the ground. So he's literally just holding his ankles. So what the whole thing was with the sharpshooter, you're meant to hook it. And Brett focused on the knees and Owen focused on the knees. He's like grabbing onto their their knee braces and wrenching back. Uh, the Rock just hooks both legs, tucks him into his armpit, and just sits there. It's awful. It's <laughs> it nearly it nearly ruined the match. I'm not gonna lie, it really put me off. It's the worst I've seen him do because I don't know if he could be bothered or he was focused on going to do that absolute masterpiece that was the Scorpion King. I don't know. It, it just felt a wee bit like. The Rock had me bothered. Taz at one point says the crowd isn't digging The Rock, which I like because these days they would just go, oh, we've got a, a, a crowd tonight. We've got some some vocal crowd. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, or back in the day it would have been, oh, we're in Bizarro World in Can- uh, Canada or whatever. Yeah. Brock did cheat. He did a low... No, sorry, The Rock low blowed him. So The Rock was working hell. He low blowed him. <clears throat> Heyman was caught just before he got put through the table. He did swear really, really loudly. <laughs> <laughs> when he was caught, he said, oh, bleep. I love The Rock did a rock bottom to kick out, and The Rock was shocked, and immediately Brock bottom. Brock was shocked. I like that whole thing. And yeah. then um, the finish, it was just... He did the spine buster and was doing the people's elbow. Rock it up. It's like it's a passing of the torch if there ever has been one. It's him interrupting his finisher, his stupid finisher, with a big clothesline, a big meaty clothesline. F5, turned round to the rock bottom, reversed, F5 again. One, two, three. Brock Lesnar, five months in, youngest ever champion. Headbutts the belt, looks like a maniac. It's amazing. Like, when he wins the belt, he's, like, headbutting it and screaming. And it's like, yeah. And then it, it's just over. That's the end of the pay-per-view. There's no filler. There is no fat on this pay-per-view. Even if you don't enjoy the test-taker match or the, the tag match, that could drag a little bit, you could say. We weren't as impressed with uh, Benoit RVD, but any other pay-per-view, like Alan said, it would be one of the top matches. This is a 10 out of 10 pay-per-view. Yeah. And this is, like I said, uh, with the Mania 17, I think this is more the end of an era because this is where, well, like uh, Alan said, with the unification of the hardcore belts, the Euro belts, there's going to be new tag belts. This is proper. We're moving on to something else. The Rock's going. Austin's at home crying. So let's just make new stars. And it didn't really work out as well as everybody thought or whatever. But it felt like a proper end of an era. And I love, love, love that we've reviewed this. You made me do it for my homework. Loved yeah. it. It was a phenomenal pay-per-view, phenomenal match. Alan, have you anything to add to this to this match before we wrap up? 
in terms of the actual match, I don't think you can. Um, Spuds kind of nailed it. It, the Rock, the Rock came in the list was supposed to be the face, and Lesnar was supposed to be the heel. But I think the fans had checked out on the Rock a bit more than he checked out on them because they're kind of sick of him. The Rock at this time was kind of going off for a few months, doing something movie-wise, and then coming back and she's like, "Oh, I'm a champion again." And The Rock did get bugged by the car. Was this the pay-per-view that he did the big, like, after pay-per-view speech and they just booed the life out of him and he yeah, had his like, little rant about... It's on YouTube. It's actually quite funny. He, no more sing-along with The Rock. Um, no, that, that was the promo in Toronto, but this one was he did cut a promo after the mic said he was going. They sort of were booing him and stuff, but once he set yeah. the mic down and started to walk out, they were, like, cheering and clapping him. And he, it was sort of, a, it was almost like a bit of banter between them. This was a, this was a key point for WWE. Their two biggest stars were Austin and The Rock, and as as Bud touched on there, Austin was sitting at home having a little powder puff over the fact that they wanted them to put Lesnar over, and he didn't want to do it the way they said. So he went home, took his ball and home, and no one knew if he was coming back. He suspected, but never knew. And The Rock was heading off to Hollywood. They needed this to work, and I loved the build of this. It wasn't just this pay per view. The build of this in so many of the matches, we already touched on the build of um, Triple H and, and Shawn Michaels, and even the it's quite a quick one for Angle and Emma um, Mysterio and stuff at the start. But they didn't just shoehorn Brock Lesnar into this match, they started him off where he came out, he destroyed Hogan, and they touched on it. And the Heyman brings it up where they ended Hulkamania and. The, the commentators touched on it during the match. He won the King of the Ring. He romped through the King of the Ring tournament. And it was the first King of the Ring that they gave a title shot at SummerSlam since Mabel, who went on to be Viscera, won it in like 94 or 95 or something. So it all made sense. And he went over RVD, um, which I thought was a nice touch because RVD was like a Heyman's guy. And Brock was the new the new guy. Um, so they built it really well. The Rock was the man. Um, while I wasn't particularly a fan of The Rock in the ring, I think he had to have someone across from him who he could really bounce off. He obviously had incredible matches with Austin and, and stuff. Um, I don't think he was the best in the ring, but he was so charismatic that you just couldn't dislike him as a character. I agree with supposed taking the sharpshooter. Um, I think some credit needs to go. The only thing that saved that sharpshooter was the commentary. I think it was Taz bounced them or no, actually this might have been sorry, I'm stealing Michael Cole's credit here. It was Michael Cole bounced in and tried to make it look a little bit better. I think even they recognised that the Rock had kinda half assed that and talked about how Brock was too strong from the game in a property and tried to sort of save it a little bit. And I loved the Brock bottom. I thought that was it was probably pre planned and, and written down for them, but I thought it was very witty at the time. Heyman is fantastic on the mic, but back then he got involved in the matches. He didn't just stand there shouting, I'm an advocate. Um, his sneaky wee grab of the rock and choking him and, and slapping him. And then it was a safe bump, but he still took a bit of a bump. It really sold the match. I mean, Heyman was super in this. He coached the rock. It was like every move. He was a proper manager. Wrestlers, managers come down, and they stand at the side, they bang the apron a little bit, they maybe distract the referee. He managed Brock through this match as if this is a fresh guy. You almost were bought into the fact that Brock, while an absolute freak of nature, is fresh and Heyman is there to guide him through this. And 
I agree with Spud. I think Heyman makes it, takes this match from a very good match to a great match, and um, despite the fact that The Rock really wasn't as invested in it as he could be, but the whole bill was brilliant. Um, and I say that the right guy won. Lesnar had the win. This they built him up as an absolute freak, unstoppable force, and The Rock, while maybe not as heavily invested in this match as he had been in some previously did little subtle things that The Rock was classed as a veteran here. You kind of forget that The Rock had only been around for maybe five or six years, but was so charismatic that he bounced on pretty quickly. He was in the twilight of his career, already had matches 15 years later, but he did little subtle veteran things like just throwing the belt down and sprinting the ring. It kind of was a case of, okay, The Rock isn't coming in, going on to every ring post, showing off with his... One of the coolest things that anyone does with a belt where he just whips it back over his shoulder. And I think it's one of my favourite images in wrestling. But he's like, nah, not having that. This guy needs to be taken serious. And I think things like that really put Lesnar over as as an absolute machine. And then the, the very fact that there wasn't 18 kickouts. Every title match at a big pay-per-view nowadays, it's finisher, kickout, finisher, kickout, finisher, kickout over and over again. It wasn't that. There was a rock bottom. He went for a people's elbow, reverse reverse one f5 bang automatically is a move that people need to be afraid of this is take the rock out in one go and i think i just as has been touched on this pay-per-view just hit all the right marks even the matches that one particularly a fan of i think it's probably just because they were on such a good pay-per-view there was so much about it that was great that stuff that was just good seem to fall short um, but yeah th- this match I think I think The Rock even though he wasn't specifically in it as much as he used to be was the right guy here he was the guy that went out and made Brock look good because let's be honest in terms of the, the top top guys bar Sean and Ric Flair The Rock probably sells moves better than anyone else you know he makes stuff look like it's impactful and Lesnar came out of this looking like the guy that delayed the WWE for the next 10 years unfortunately it didn't work out that way but they they couldn't have built them up any better and this was a common this wasn't just a pay-per-view that happened within a month it seemed to be a lot of the time it's okay what do we do for the next this was built up from the minute that the Brock came into the WWE everything led to this moment and it was one of the few times back then that the fans were ecstatic that they hated won the match and I just think it was a perfect finish to what was five months of build? Perfect finish to probably a, as perfect a show as you could probably do at that particular time, given the talent and stuff. It was excellent. It was fun. As I said, fifteen out of eighteen competitors on the main show were world champions at one stage, and that really does define the quality that was on show in this SummerSlam, in my opinion, anyway. If this was a Mania card, you'd be happy enough. Yeah, hundred percent. This is literally like a semi Mania. It's like a half mania because there's double the matches every mania. But you'd be buzzing for this to be the mania 2003 or whatever following it. 10 out of 10, lads. Honestly, I, was, I might rewatch it tonight. Yeah, just to, just solid show from start to finish, isn't it? You know, yeah. everything's good. There's Even as Alan said, the matches that we, that we weren't too bothered about, they were still good matches. It's probably just hurt by the quality of the card more than anything else you know, even of, of the character, you know what I mean? Like Undertaker Tess was 
decent enough, but because it wasn't Dead Man Undertaker and you were kind of bored of that Taker, it sort of made yeah. you switch off a little bit. Yeah, it's literally um, like we've already said. I think we're casting like the RVD Benoit match would have been the best match in any other uh, pay per view of that year. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a, it's it's a strange <laughs> thing. It's it shows how good the pay per view was, top to bottom. Yeah. Just if you've nothing to do and you've the WWE Network or somebody you know has WWE Network, just go for it. Just whack it on. It's yeah. it's an easy watch. It's not even that long. Plus the Fink's in it, talking about puppies. <laughs> what can't you love? There was nothing on the card. I've, I've touched on it before. I love to just suspend reality and watch it and just get lost in, in, the, in the action that's going on. One of the things that bugs me more than anything is when you're watching something... And 30 seconds before something happens, you think they're doing this to do this in a minute. There's not a lot in this card from from top to bottom. Even like they do spots. Sean has his elbow drop off the ladder. You know they have their interferences. There's nothing that you look at and think this is so obviously what's going to happen next. Everything just seems smooth. Everything flows. Everything makes sense. Even stuff you don't particularly like, like the the roll-up finish, it all makes sense when you see what comes after. It is it is wrestling as it should be. You can't really say too much about it. I'm glad I, I never, well, I probably never would have watched the, this pay-per-view again um, if we hadn't been doing this. Um, as much as it's a privilege to, to join yourself and Spud, it was it was great to go back and watch this because yeah. I enjoyed it. I sat and watched the whole thing through and it, and it was over too soon. And it's not often you say that about a pay-per-view anymore. Yeah. Let's both thank Potsy. Thank you, Potsy. Thank you for bringing us back at the Ireland. guy. We'll do it again next year and see how we fit. Yeah, we'll review it again. We'll do the whole thing. Oh, again. test is useless. <laughs> Maybe by that stage I'll have over my bitterness about Sean. Need to get um, over this screw job, man. Yeah, I was, was going to say. Brett's <laughs> over it. Brett isn't over it. Brett is not over it. Maybe a year from now, Dave will. Um, He'll have seen sense with his star rating, but he probably won't. But he may have retired. He'll be AEW TV champion or something by then. <laughs> That's a great show. Odds on the NXT champion. The only person Cody Rhodes will drop the belt to. Five, five star. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I know it's late with you. Go and get the bed if you're going to bed, or continue to drink some beers, Spud. I'm assuming you're having. A, I'm assuming you're having a few cans. <laughs> I heard you opening a can earlier, so I thought I meant to say to you about enjoying your beers. Uh, that's why I had to. That's why I had to have the toilet break, man. Toilet I'm break. about a six pack deep. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Alan, first of all, from you, thank you so much. No problem, Ryan. Thanks very much for having me, and enjoy your evening. I will speak to you all again soon. Well, Spud, thank you as always for coming on. And if you please give a shout out to our favourite band. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to shout out the Fake Flirtations. No! For a second. <laughs> they didn't allow us. No, the Fake Flirtations for giving us closer as the use of our theme tune, I guess. They've got an LP on Spotify. Check them out. Give them a like on Instagram. Give me a like on Instagram. I'm Aaron Spud. You can see what kind of food. I'm eating on there. That's really fun. Or you can go on to Arnspub1 on Twitter and tell me that everything that I've said is a load of rubbish. <laughs> Thank but, you for having me, Patsy. I always I always love coming on here, but I'll, as always, I'll speak gentlemen, to you. 
as always good night gents all the best thank you for listening to the podcast with me your host darren please follow us on instagram and twitter at the podcast thanks for your time stay safe and tune in next time